Tonight I'm going to be talking from Luke chapter 2. If uh, you've been part of our church, you know that this fall we've been going through the gospel of Luke. And I want to pick up on that in chapter 2 in the passage that was read for us uh, tonight, these familiar words about the birth of Jesus. Tonight is a special night. It's a holy night. It's the night that we meet to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I've always enjoyed these Christmas Eve services, even when I was a child, not just here as a church. But when I was a child, too, I always felt like this was what everybody should do, that we should come together on Christmas Eve to celebrate and to worship Jesus and to worship the Father in heaven for his great gift to all of us. And I feel like these services are kind of an interlude. I wouldn't say that they're the calm before the storm. In some cases, that may be true. But I look at these times as a chance to really quiet our hearts, to slow down, and to listen. Christmas can be such a busy season. We rush about getting everything ready because we want it to be perfect for the time when we gather as family and friends. We're trying to find just the right gift or want to make sure the meal is fixed and ready and everything's going to be perfect when we get home. And sometimes it isn't. And sometimes we're feeling pressured or stressed. And here's a chance for us to come together as believers to listen to God's word and to think about this wondrous gift that has been given to us. This is what Christmas is all about. And if all of the other things were taken away, I would miss it. But Christmas would still be Christmas because Jesus was born on this night. Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth so simply and beautifully in his gospel. Just 20 verses. He describes it all. It can be read quickly, and yet when we think about the meaning of it, it is extraordinary. Luke tells us that in those days, people were going about their lives just like we do today. People had jobs. People had plans. They had families that they were gathering with and things that they wanted to do. And then some guy named Caesar Augustus, who was the ruler of the world at that time, issued this decree that everybody should be enrolled in a census. And the primary reason for that was so that he could make sure that everyone was on the tax roll. Caesar might have thought that he was in charge of the world at that time, but God was at work behind the scenes of history. And he was bringing his son to the place where it had been foretold that he would be born. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Micah had written these words. And he had said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. So Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, because Joseph was a descendant of David. 
Mary didn't have to go, but Joseph wasn't about to leave her this late in her pregnancy. And besides, it would probably get her away from some of the rumors that were circulating in Nazareth about this child. Mary and Joseph made that long journey, more than 100 miles. We're not sure how many days it took them. It may have been seven or eight days that it took them to make this journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. For Bethlehem itself, this was an economic boom. I mean, David was Israel's greatest king, and he had many, many descendants. And Bethlehem probably hadn't seen this much activity in years. All of these people coming back to be registered in their ancestral home. I'm sure the shopkeepers, the innkeepers, the vendors were quite happy. But for Mary and Joseph, it meant there was no place for them to stay when they arrived. There was no room left that was available for them. Every possible room was taken. Have you ever wondered about that? Have you ever had an experience like that? A few years ago, in December of 2004, my sister Elaine passed away. And we traveled to Thief River Falls, Minnesota, for the visitation was going to take place there, and then the funeral service was going to be in Bagley, Minnesota. And we went up, and normally when we're going on a trip or something like that, I call ahead and make a reservation, but I'm thinking Thief River Falls has a lot of motels. You know, it's a Wednesday in December. It can't be that busy. And so I didn't make a reservation. And when we got there after that time of visitation and I went to try and find a room, we went from motel to motel to motel, and they were all full. We had to drive another 90 miles that night back to Foston before we finally finally found a place to stay. And as we're driving on that December night in the dark and in the cold, I'm thinking about Mary and Joseph. And I wonder how they felt when they came to the inn in Bethlehem and they were told that there was no room for them. There was only a stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem where she could have her baby. How did Mary and Joseph feel? Well, Luke doesn't tell us. He leaves us to imagine what that would have been like. And you could think that Joseph and Mary were thinking, God, if this is your son, couldn't you at least have kept a room for us? That Jesus was to be born in a stable. The stable where Jesus was born wasn't nearly as nice as we sometimes picture it. It was more like a cave, really, like the ones you can see near Bethlehem today. It was probably cold and dark and damp on a December night. They probably lit a fire near the entrance to take some of the chill out and to keep things warm for Mary and for the baby. There was no place for the baby to be laid except a manger, which is a common, ordinary feeding trough. They would put some straw in it, and there the baby Jesus would be laid. One can hardly imagine a lowlier birth. Why? Why was it this way? Why did God have his son born in such a lowly circumstance? It's because that's the kind of world he was coming into, a world that is dark with sin. You know, I think about 
Well, for many of us, there are times when we may be hesitant to step into another person's life to help them with a situation. Sometimes we're hesitant because we look at those needs and we think, boy, that seems pretty overwhelming. And it's not just one thing where they need help, but it might be many things. And sometimes we look at people's lives and our lives, frankly, can be kind of messy and involved and tangled. Sometimes families are very dysfunctional and people can feel hesitant to step in and help. And yet Jesus showed none of that. Jesus was willing to leave his glory at the Father's side in heaven, to leave this throne room where he was worshipped by the angels and enter into our dark and messy and stinky world because he loved us. He came to bring hope. He came to bring light. He came to bring freedom and deliverance from sin. The scripture would say that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all of us. Do you ever wonder how that innkeeper felt? On the one hand, it wasn't his fault that the inn was full. I mean, it was business. He was just doing his job, and all of these people had come back to Bethlehem, and so it was kind of first come, first serve, and whoever got there first got a room. How was he to know that this child who would be born was God's own son? But isn't that the way that many people treat Jesus today? Their lives are just too full to make room for him. We're so busy with all of our activities, so, so much of the other things that we have going and want to do that sometimes we just don't have time for God. But this baby, this was no ordinary child. Max Lucado writes that this baby had overlooked the universe. These rags keeping him warm were the robes of eternity. His golden throne room had been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen, and worshiping angels had been replaced by wandering shepherds. Meanwhile, the city hums. The merchants are unaware that God has visited their planet. The innkeeper would never have believed that he had just sent God into the cold. And the people would scoff at anyone who told them that the Messiah lay in the arms of a teenager on the outskirts of their village. They were all too busy to consider the possibility. Those who missed his majesty's arrival that night did so, not because of evil acts or malice. No, they missed it because they simply weren't looking. Little has changed in 2,000 years, has it? On that night, only a few understood what was happening. Mary, Joseph, and a few privileged shepherds. Luke tells us in verse 8 that there were shepherds out in their field doing what they had done a thousand nights before. They were watching their sheep. And an angel appeared to them and said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. He is the Messiah, the one that we have been waiting for. Can you imagine their wonder and amazement? A Savior is born. What the world needed most, God had provided. It was God's greatest gift 
to us. And the angel said, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of angels, not just a few, more like all of them, lit up the sky that night. And they sang and they praised God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest for what he has done. Can you imagine those angels and hearing that as they broke the silence of that night? And these shepherds who were terrified by this sight now heard this wonderful news. It is the third of four songs that Luke records in the first two chapters of his gospel. Glory to God in the highest. Angels and shepherds. This message was for all of creation, from the highest to the lowest. But only those who receive it experience the joy and peace that the Savior came to bring. Only those who hear and who understand the message and turn to Christ experience this great gift. These shepherds heard and responded to the message. The angel didn't tell them to go to Bethlehem. They wanted to go. And when the angels left them, they said to one another, let's go and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger just as they had been told. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told him. Those who were the first to hear the news about Jesus became the first evangelists. They were so overjoyed by what they had heard that now they wanted to tell everyone this good news about Jesus. These shepherds were ordinary men. I mean, they were the common, ordinary Joes of their day, but they played a very important role. These shepherds, if Jesus was born in December, as we believe, were the shepherds who cared for the sheep that were offered in sacrifice in the temple. Did they know that that baby that was born in Bethlehem would be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world? They did not, but God did. And it is why Jesus came. He came to be our Savior. He's the one who would save us from our sins. And Mary, she treasured these reports. She pondered them in her heart. And no doubt Mary was the source of this story that Luke records for us. The details are so rich and so personal. And the shepherds, well, they returned to their work glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard. They were changed men. What about you? Do you stand in amazement at what God has done for us? And do you stand in amazement that Jesus would leave his heavenly throne to come to earth to be our Savior? Or do you find yourselves sometimes more like the people of Bethlehem, too busy to consider what God has done? 
During the Great Depression, there was a young woman who was desperate for a place to stay. And she came to the home of a pastor and his wife on a winter night. She knocked on the door timidly and she asked, please, may I spend the night in your home? And the pastor's wife thought of her own family's needs and of the guests who had arrived. There were only so many blankets and beds to go around and she would have to say no. But the woman at the door seemed to anticipate the answer and she said, please, if there's room in your heart, there'll be room in your home. And that night, a house that was full made room for one more. Isn't that true for all of us? If there's room in our heart, there'll be room in our life for Christ. And Jesus will be more than someone that we just have heard about or read about. But Jesus will become our Lord and Savior too. Is there room in your heart for Christ? I know that many of you that are here tonight have already made that commitment to Jesus and you have placed your trust in him as Savior and Lord and that's why you're here to worship tonight. But in any service, there are always people that have never made that decision or are still thinking about it. And tonight I want to give you an opportunity to ask Christ to be your Savior and Lord if you would like to do that. I also know that that's a decision that needs to be made with seriousness and understanding. And one of the things we're going to be offering in January at our church on Wednesday nights is a class that can help you to know more about Jesus and to understand why he came. It's a class that's called Life Explorer. I'd like to show a short video and have you take a look at this, and then I'll close my message. hope you'll join us. That starts on January 4th. If you're looking for peace, you're looking for joy, you're looking for happiness, it can be found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift that you have given to us of your Son, our Savior. And I pray that tonight 
that you would be present in all of our family gatherings, that you would be at the center of what we do, that the gifts we give would be given because of your great gift for us. And I pray that tonight, if you're here and you've never made a commitment to Christ and you would like to know him as your Savior and Lord, would you just say to Jesus tonight in your own heart, Jesus, thank you for coming to earth for me. Thank you that you were willing to die on a cross to pay the penalty for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me, to come into my life and to be my Savior and Lord. Jesus, help me to know you better. I want to follow your will for my life. And Jesus will take you at your word. And you can begin that new relationship with him at this very moment. Jesus, thank you for your great love for us. Amen.